Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 16 of Can I Pick Your Brain? In this episode, I pick the brains of Mordechai Holtz, the co-founder of Blue Thread Marketing, a boutique digital agency with clients ranging from startups to cities. Mordechai is also a blogger, mentor, social media junkie, marathon runner, and father of five little children. Mordechai, welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. Now, before we get stuck into the world of social media, can you tell us a little bit about your world? What was it like growing up? Sure. I was born and raised in New York. Went to school there, went to elementary school, high school, and college in New York. Went to Queens College, and then I went to, I got my master's in organizational and administrative social work out in New York as well. Mm-hmm. Then I moved to Israel 13 years ago mm-hmm. um, and have gone back and visit many times every summer at least. Sometimes more than once a year we visit. Yeah, that's the way we are, we are based here, but we, are, are, we definitely have family and uh, close friends that still live there. But what about your upbringing in terms of what did your father do for a living? What was your what was your mother's role? How did you get into business in in a sense? Was it from a young age? Or so did my you... my grandfather, my wife, my mother's father was a businessman. He actually grew up in a in an environment that was ne- not necessarily conducive to building a business. Originally, he was in a very religious environment. Then, mm-hmm. after when he was eighteen, he decided to move away from that lifestyle and moved into becoming a very successful corporate America, working for American Express uh, in the Twin Towers before uh, many years ago, about 30, uh, 30 years ago. I still recall the days when I went to his office in you know, floor number 200, whatever it is, in the Twin Towers. Wow. And since then, he was a very, everyone who knew him always used to call him a raconteur, very much like a very outspoken, well-dressed, very enjoyed the good, fine things in life, but also was very much uh, connected to his family, etc. Both my parents are professors, uh, very into education and into making sure you work hard, a good work ethic. Important to them is also that you are successful in a sense that you feel comfortable and you're passionate about what you're doing and you're happy with what you're doing. They were very supportive in any way, shape or form. I, I always seem to be in the family as someone who is more outspoken and out there and be willing to try, try things a little bit, thinking out of the box, if you will. And that enabled me, my creative energy and my ability to enjoy sports and ability to think on my feet and think a, a little bit more about the trends and, and about it, how to help people and work with people a little bit more than just a sitting in a library, uh, which was. So you, you didn't want to become a professor? Uh, no, there was definitely pressure. There was definitely <laughs> pressure from the outside world for to me to follow suit uh-huh. and, and other people in the family. I still do education in other ways, and I still do teach, and I do train, and I do mentor. So there is some sort of education in that respect. I have taught in classes in you know university settings, mm-hmm. but. Me being a formal professor, and so far I haven't I haven't found the interest in it. So you looked up to your grandfather, basically. That yeah, was kind definitely of your... my inspiration. There was my grandfather, and then following that, when uh, after he passed away, when right before I had gotten I got married, my wife's grandfather was a successful community leader as well as a businessman. Very, he wasn't a businessman professionally, but he was a, a successful investor in the stock market and successful, very knowledgeable in terms of business. And uh, he was a fundraiser, actually. He raised many, many millions of dollars. And he used, wow. and um, also a global leader in his, in, his, in his field. And he also helped me kind of my, I was in many ways his uh, protege in many of the things that I do and the way I, I perform and conduct uh, my business on a daily basis. So he was a leader. Absolutely. And I guess the Absolutely. leadership is something that you're probably... Absolutely. He was definitely right. a leader. He was what they call in many ways a bulldozer. He would like to think through and he, he had the vision and the, the mission to be successful in many things uh, without having to, and he saw things through from A to Z in many different capacities. And that was something that he imparted upon me very early on. And he kind of from the time that I got married to my wife, even though he had passed, he passed about three years ago, he still to this day kind of really on a daily basis impacts the way I conduct business. Amazing. Yeah. As, as a father of three young ones myself, I can relate to the shake craziness your life must be yes. like. I mean, you have five children. How do you manage to keep a healthy work, personal and family life balance? Uh, that is a question uh, challenged on a daily basis, on an <laughs> hourly basis, I'd have to be honest. I, I sometimes make the joke that I'm, I'm a runner, not only do I run as a marathon runner or a half marathon runner, but I also am a, 
I run a business. I run, a, I run my, my family. I run with my family, and sometimes I run away from my family as a runner. <laughs> but uh, the truth is, it's, that is many ways it's, it enables me the balance. Finding the balance is, I think, something that many people try to achieve. Getting to that Zen is very challenging, and in many ways, I think it's something that is almost an ideal that people try to create, and sometimes almost almost never really achieve that balance. Especially people who are working trying to build their own business, or entrepreneurs, startups, whatever it is. In many ways, that lifestyle finding you know the balance, the work life balance, is very difficult. And I would almost say, not 100%, but I would almost say that's something that's like one of these impossible things that people always try to reach, but it's never something that's achievable because every person's situation is different. Everyone's family and support system is different. And therefore, while everyone wants to achieve it, it definitely is something that every person has to be, they have to judge their situation and their scenario and who they have to help them or what they have to do in order to get make that balance work. But I think it's something as, especially people who are trying to build their own business and build their own, you know, lifestyle and their own vision, it's something that is fluid and dynamic and shouldn't be just something that I could just say, here's the recipe for success. The best thing I could say is the support system you have, whether it's family, friends, business partners, whatever it is, those are the people that you need to build a trust with and be very open with them and and make sure that they understand and are completely uh, supportive of your vision. When they are, they will, everything else will fall into place. Mm. Now you run a boutique digital agency called Blue Thread Marketing. Can you explain a little bit more about what you provide? Also, how did you get started with it as well? So I've been working, before I started working in the marketing uh, online digital space, I was really working in the nonprofit sector. My master's is in organizational and administrative social work. So I was really working with the nonprofit sector, helping manage and kind of run the operations of organizations. During that time, because of my age, working with these uh, organizations, I really was the youngest person, maybe by 10, sometimes by 20 years of people uh, my senior. And therefore, I really understood the space of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, I at least knew enough about it to be able to learn it and to be able to use it in an effective way to engage with the audience, uh, market the product, whatever it was. And over time, as I began learning and began reading more and, you know, basically taking a lot of classes, and like I always say is, I did a lot of listening and less talking. I learned a lot. I talk, talk a lot thought, listened to a lot of people online, read a lot of blogs, a lot of websites, etc. A lot of self-teaching, but a lot of also listening to classes and things like that. And along the way, as I was growing professionally, I realized that people were coming to me as opposed to me just trying to you know, go out there and trying to hustle business. People were coming to me for advice, whether it was in the nonprofit sector or in the for-profit sector, people started coming to me as well. And that kind of morphed into working with a forex company, the lead, one of the leading hospitals in Israel, etc., with their digital strategy slowly. And then over the course of time, in the last five years, I worked with one agency. And after that agency, and I really respect that agency tremendously. After working with them, I realized that I, my, I had like this bug in my stomach that I really wanted to create my own agency. And the idea of, the, of Blue Thread is, or Blue Thread Marketing, our agency basically creates everything that a company would need from a website to content, to social, to paid advertising online, anything in the digital journey that a company would like to get to their users and would like their users to experience in the digital forum is our, we consider that within our uh, holistic kind of vision. And that's Mm -hmm. what we try to provide. So we can either create, we have departments where we have just search, we have also just social and we have communication and PR. Usually we try to do is our clients try to be, try to focus on all three components at the same time thereby enabling us to really take the clients and create an entire package, a message, everything at one place, not because companies who don't have a holistic strategy don't are not effective, but more because we realize that sometimes when you have three different sides, you have the search, the social, the communication, and every one of them is doing something from a different perspective, whether it's physically different desks or they're outsourced to different agencies, it makes it's confusing either for the brand itself or it's confusing for the content that's being written. So we like to view it in much more of a opportunity here where we allow the client to come in and say, is you're looking for certain kind of content to be written? Well, let's tell you what the words that people are actually using are looking for in the in your space, in your industry. What are your competition reading or re, what are your competition using? What are those words? And then so those are the keywords. That's where the search comes in. Then the content that we write, whether it's on their blog or on a journal piece or whatever it is, you take those mm-hmm. pieces and then from there. So yeah, and then that, that 
translates into social. So your hashtags are the same words that we would use as the keywords. Everything kind of affects each other. And by you looking at it from that perspective, the brand is then strengthened. Their content is then much stronger and much more effective as opposed to just saying, we'll do your Twitter or manage your Twitter campaign. And then all of a sudden, someone's writing something that's completely different in terms of the voice and the messaging. Right. Now, I've probably raised a few eyebrows when I uh, mentioned in the intro that uh, you have clients ranging from startups to cities. Yes. Let me get let me get this straight. You run the marketing for a city. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I I've been fortunate enough, and I give you actually I, I completely attribute my ability to work with the city of, of Jerusalem in this case, but it really could work with any city because of them. Uh, we, I work with the tourism division of the city of Jerusalem. I completely attribute it to a marathon. So my running has actually led me to clients. So I mm. um, two years ago, three years ago now, I was I really was I ran my third marathon in Jerusalem. Was my third marathon and. I met someone who does PR or really does a lot more branding, and he said, I'm working with the city of Jerusalem. They're looking for a consultant in branding, but they're also looking for someone for social. Please come with me to this meeting. After running the marathon in Jerusalem with this person, I... He brought me, invited me into a meeting with the city, uh, looking for someone who to do social, uh, their social media, so manage their Facebook, their Twitter, YouTube, a blog, create a blog. They had a strong website, but they were lacking that personal narrative, that narrative that really speaks to different audiences. So from the time that I inter- intervened, we'll call it intervene, I basically created a content schedule which takes the different components that they were looking to focus on as a city. Started doing some research online about tourist bloggers and bloggers, travel bloggers and food bloggers and things that the city, what matches the city's interest in terms of promoting positive tourism to the city. And then started working with various resources in terms of how do we grow various digital assets that they have and then also doing paid campaigns on on Facebook and on search and everything else. And then basically by overlooking, overseeing everything, you're taking the city and not just, just like any company is looking to promote and encourage positive experiences with the user. The same thing works with the city. Take the same principles of where you're creating a calendar, a schedule. During events, you have obviously higher engagement and higher reach and higher need for more marketing and more efforts. But also during the ongoing, let's call it during the rest of the year when there's no big events, you're trying to educate, you're trying to inform, you're encouraging people to visit the site and visit their, whether it's to inform people beforehand or while they're here. And someone, let's just say as an example, someone tweets that they're in Jerusalem, I can then do is basically identify who they are, identify their their reach and their potential and see if it's worth it for us as a city to say is welcome to we could say welcome no matter what. But we could also say is welcome to the city and then offer them content that's relevant. So if it's a food blogger who happens to be here, we can then say, have you checked out this restaurant? Serving them, giving them, literally giving them a piece of content that's relevant to them at, in real time so that way they know that the city is supporting them. And if we could take even one step further is if we know that there's something who's very influential, we would not only give them that piece of content, we would also do is reach out via either direct message or even via Twitter and then take it to the next step and say, we would love to host you for something or we'd like to take you out to dinner or take you to this restaurant. Yeah. So it even goes Engage. to that, and, and that takes it to the next level where you're taking the online experience, which is very important and no one's trying to minimize it, but then you're taking it offline and then they have a face to the city of Jerusalem. So you've just taken a, some you know kind of mundane experience of a blogger or someone who's here and all of a sudden you've mm-hmm. given them a face of Jerusalem and, they, and when you speak face-to-face, they get a real good picture of the city and the experience that the city is trying to evoke and then all of a sudden that content that they promote, not me, not from the city, but from they promote as in as their experience is completely different. Okay, let me tell you my, my, my issue with social media. Sure. Um, I, I scaled my businesses using Google organic search traffic and AdWords. And the reason I believe it works so well is because people are actively searching as opposed to when they are socializing on Facebook, Twitter, etc. Do you not agree? I would say something a little different. People are yeah. active, actively searching, but the search that they are actively doing, whether it's Google or any other search engine for, the, for, this, for that matter, is being affected by and is also in many ways, at least in the last couple of years, is being re-diverted back to social. So in this sense, let's say you, you've decided to post, you're looking to say is, I'm looking for a vacation. So the classic person would say is, I'll just Google what to do for a vacation. Mm-hmm. Their default is to search, they'll crowdsource. What they call crowdsourcing basically say is, what should I do for a vacation? Or I'm looking for a great, pl- a great place to you know, eat tonight. So they'll put it on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever it is. And by doing that, by putting it out there, they're doing exactly what you're saying to do is search, but they're actually doing is asking their friends to tell them because their friends are the ones that really have, and your friend's opinion is much more important to you than what Google will tell you to do. So, Hold on a second. They're, they're, all, they're asking their friends. They're not asking you. 
So they're asking their friends by asking their friends what they want, right? Then all of a sudden, let's say someone said, "You decide. I want to go. I need a bit. I need a social media marketing company." So they're going to say, "Is looking for a social media marketing company on Facebook." Hmm. Then what's going to happen is they're going to get you to. So their friends or your friends are going to recommend various companies, and then you're going to do the research on those on those companies. So all of a sudden, it's not that you're going to just say search so, search social media marketing companies on Google because that will be effective, but it won't be as it will be. You'll get the results, but the, the, what you won't have the opinion of the person who's let's say the word of mouth, if you will, that person who has firsthand experience with that company, with that agency, whatever it is. So your crowdsourcing on on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it may be enables you to say. Okay, I've just basically done is I've just siphoned out the, the top five pages of Google by just doing a simple Facebook post, and then all of a sudden your 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 search on Google is much more effective because you're really looking only for five, ten, fifteen, twenty, or whatever the number of responses you've gotten. So that's the first thing I would say. The second mm-hmm. thing is, in general, people are much more, and that in general people are much more social. In other words, people. I'm not saying that people have stopped completely because Google is not going anywhere for a while, but I would say is much more is that people are looking for the impact and the influence of their friends and their and the people around them that they respect instead of just waiting for someone who, you know, I can find people to write content as much as you want and basically redirect you to content that I think will be important for your search, whether it's social media, restaurants, you know, chairs, whatever the case may be. I can have content written, so therefore, will, and it will rank high. But in a social component, or at least with social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, tw- Twitter, whatever it is, you're really relying on the, your friends and your network as a way to give you the, the information that you want and you value. That's what I would say is, yes, organic is important. Yes, Google is still important. Yes, it's important that you do all the efforts. There's no shortcuts to this game. I'm not saying there, there are, but I just think that people's trends online are much more of, I want the opinions of people that I respect and people and the information of people that I know have had these experiences in some way, as opposed to just saying is let me do a random Google search for a vacation spot. Because okay, so I agree with I agree with what you're saying in terms of when I'm looking for something, I prefer to ask my my network, right. my social network. I hear that, yeah. I hear that. But now you, as the uh, person selling the widget yeah. or whatever it is, yeah, how do you find me? How do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, how- that's a good question. Great question, actually. So the way I do it. And not necessarily that this is the only recipe, but I would just say the, re- the recipe I do is, again, I look at it from a very much of a holistic perspective. I look at it as not only what are the words that people are searching for in terms of our space. I actually do is look at who else in the, in the, in the industry. So if we're looking for widgets, what are the other widget companies searching for? or pe- What are they using as search words? Because once I know what they're using, I, A, I know what, to use for, what they're using, and I also know is what alternative options they're not using for. So I can also say is if they're using for, let's say, widgets, I can say is widgets with a little square, right? And I could, okay, let's say mosquito killers. Fine. I want to buy something that kills mosquitoes. So I want to buy mosquito killers. So I can look at... I hate mosquitoes. Yeah, right. So I want to look <laughs> for mosquito killers. So I can look at what the other mosquito com- killer companies are in the area. And I can also mm-hmm. say is who's the industry leaders? Look at what they're looking for, what they're writing about. And how can mm-hmm. I, as a company, whether it's big or small, how can I take the information that they're giving me, add a little bit more value, whether it's, you know, make it a little funny, or I can, you know, making something funny, especially like killing mosquitoes or something like that. People mm-hmm. want that sense of humor because everyone, no one really likes mosquitoes. But the point is that you want to, you, you want to make that brand a little bit more personal than just another mosquito company because there's no, yeah. there's no, there's no shortage of companies that do, you know, pest control or whatever it is. These kind of companies, the one who has is funny, the one is, who has a unique, uh, whether it's a value proposition or unique angle on the on the space, is the one that people remember. They don't remember the guy, you know, the Dollar Shavings Club was nothing, nothing unique about what they do. They really sell razors and blades, but they, what they did is they made it very unique in terms of they, their ad. They did it uniquely in terms of their price point. And that's what yeah. really made it, made it memorable. Yeah, everyone could buy a dollar, you know, a dollar, a blade for a dollar. Point is that you have someone, whether, and same thing with someone that you probably know, and we all in the marketers in the world know Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Gary Vaynerchuk. Right. <laughs> right. Everyone knows him. What, what makes him unique? The fact he had a, a wine store. Everyone had a wine store. You know, anyone could have a wine store. No one's, no one's looking, you know, wine stores are a dime a dozen, especially in the United States. There's no shortage of wine stores or liquor stores. What he did is he said, is, let me give my opinion, right? Yes, I curse. Yes, I'm out there. Yes, I'm talking not the language of the refined French connoisseur. I'm talking the way I believe. And when, when that passion comes out and that memory and that space and that, you know, passion comes out. I always like to use the word passion. Yeah. That's what people remember. So yes, he was outspoken. Yes, he was maybe not the, the, the standard cookie cutter person in terms of the wine connoisseur, but he understood it. He knew it and he made 
he made it relevant. And so he made it memorable. So he made it, made the wine that someone would say is, oh, this wine only works well with meat. He said, you know what? This, this wine works really well for your jet, next Jets game, right? All of a sudden, that person who is not considering buying wine, but he hears the word Jets with the wine, he all of a sudden has put – a whole new spin, spin on it, a whole new spin on it. So the same thing with pest control, right? They get every part is pest control, so I can make my pest control very nice, or I can really find something that's memorable or something unique and put that angle into it, and that's what makes people remember. So okay, but would you say that social media marketing only really works for B two C businesses no. and not so no. much for B two B? Absolutely not. Why not? B two B is the same thing. There's a famous or less famous than Gary Vaynerchuk, or less, let's call it more correctly, less outspoken than Gary Vaynerchuk, is mm-hmm. someone whose name is Brian Kramer, uh, someone who I respect, have spoken to several times. He mm-hmm. says many times B2B and B2C have basically been wiped off the map. It's now what he calls P2P, person to person. And just like 100 years ago, you would walk into a store and you, you're looking for, you went to the butcher and you went and he said, you know, the guy would say, hi, Mr. Daniels, you know, oh, would you like your, your steak cut this way, just like you have every year? The same thing would happen with the business, right? People at the end of the day, you're not going to buy a, a car from some random person unless you've done some research. And if the person that you know has bought the car from that same company, you're going to go, you're going to go there. When you go, when you walk into a store and a person knows you and he knows your style and knows your information and knows you, and everything about you, that's the same, that's the person you're going to buy from. Same thing with companies, right? You're not going to just going to randomly find a company to buy your computers from if you haven't heard or been referred to by someone else in your industry. It's the same thing. So B2B is the same thing. B2B and B2C is identical. I think in this way, in this regard, you want, mm-hmm. you, yes, you have to say, you have to sound professional. Yes, you have to have the, the backing and the, the, the information and you have to know what you're talking about. But at the same time, a company is any person who's a company, anyone who represents a company, there are people behind it, right? Your company is not just a robot. It's a, a bunch of people working in an office or not an office who are representing the brand. And those people right. have a network and they know what they're looking for. So if it's whether it's cloud monitoring, Forex, hospitals, whatever it is, they're all looking for something. And they're all looking for people within their space who understand their space, who are looking for the same kind of service when they want to. Say, I guess a good example would be Rackspace. Yeah, Rackspace, uh, great. Rackspace, Robert Scoble, Alan Weinstein, all those people yeah. who are leaders in their industry understand, but they also know that it's not only about selling cloud servers or cloud monitors. It happens to be that I worked with a cloud monitoring company, and those companies, you know, cloud monitoring is not exactly the most interesting thing in the world. But what they did is they they realized they walk around and they talk about startups about what the what app what apps need they need cloud storage they go out there they're talking to people they know the space but they also know how to talk about the value that's around that space it's not just about cloud monitoring it's also about mm. what can we give you as we'll call it tangential advice or tangential services that would provide you additional value so in Rackspace's case, they have people who are literally, or up until recently, they had people up, um, basically ambassadors who went around, met with startups, met with companies, and basically said is, we would like to help you not only with your actual product in terms of giving you cloud storage, but also with your marketing experience, with your PR, with your whatever. They wouldn't actually physically help them, but they would just challenge them a little bit. And I was you know, I was experienced it directly with Alan Weinkrantz, who used to work for Rackspace, so I'd imagine that it's similar with Robert Scoble. The idea is that they would go to these meetings. They wouldn't, they, their goal was just to be helpful. By being helpful, those companies see it's not just about the cloud. It's not just about the monitoring. It's not just about the storage. Because those things, you can buy them anywhere, right? You can buy that anywhere. The point is that this company has personalized it and giving the experts the freedom to promote something that's beyond just the product. So essentially, social media allows you to personify or personalize your company. Absolutely. How do you how do you track the ROI for businesses marketing? My favorite question of all time. So now I'm not going to give you Gary Vaynerchuk's question about the ROI for social media because I think that's a little bit extreme for some people to understand or to grasp. Um, (laughs) But his the general thought is there's ROI. You can if you're a product, you're trying to create sale. So if your company is trying to sell sales. A simple ROI, if you're tracking your links correctly in terms of what you're trying to direct people to, simple sales. You did this campaign, you invested, let's say, $10,000 into the campaign for social, $10,000 on social led to $5,000 of sales. It was bad. It wasn't successful. Or maybe that's the sex, you're saying you need 10000 to make five. I'm not giving you numbers of what the actual you know, return is because I think every industry is different and every campaign is different. Okay. That being said, there's also other components of social ROI. Some social ROI is sales, and therefore uh, sales means that if, if you put in this and you made that and there's a positive growth, 
that you're successful. That was your ROI. And you can track it on every, in every platform to the best of my knowledge. Maybe not Snapchat yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to guess that very soon that you're going to get that too, that you're going to get value. Basically every platform has the ability to link out means you put a link into that platform and you can track that link and say it was successful. It led to a sale. That's part one. That's one way to track ROI on social. The second way is to also say is, you know, my company needs to get out there. I need more downloads on my app. So you can run ads and those ads, if you need, if you had a thousand downloads on my app or on downloads on the app originally, and now you have 10,000 because of your social campaign, your ROI is you've been successful. You, you invested money to get more downloads and you got them. The third way I would say that you can judge ROI is also what I call brand affinity. So not necessarily is it the best thing and it shouldn't be the only thing that you're looking for an ROI on social, but one of the value, very important things is taking your brand and allowing people to say is I'm looking for, whether it's cough medicine or mosquito repellent or whatever it is, I'm looking for people and you want your brand to be associated to that space. So why did you, I'm going to ask you a question. Why did you, by default, when I said cloud monitoring, you automatically said rack space? There's no reason, right? There's no reason. There's no reason why you said that, except for the fact that you know Robert Scoble because he's out there, and you also right. know I, I happen to know Alan Weinkrantz, who's also out there or yep. was out there before a couple of weeks ago when they both left. But the point is that they are providing a face to the company. So yes, they happen to be associated to at the time they were associated to Rackspace. It could have been that you know Joe Schmo was associated to you know some other company, and you and if they were out there and providing value and giving you information to the companies that they're looking to reach out to, that would be the same association would have been made. So my, my company's called Blue Thread. Many people just say, I know you because you're a runner. So you're a runner. So I'm a runner. So I talk running with them. And all of a sudden, running leads to conversations about marketing, leads to conversations about social, leads to conversations about you know family life, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, it's not about the running anymore. It's not about social media anymore. It's about the brand that we, so yes, my name is Blue Thread Marketing. It could have been anything, but the point is that the association is there, and that's the third component of the ROI. So yes, ROI is not only sales, it's not only you know growth, it's also about brand mentioning, brand affinity, brand strengthening, and those I think all of those should be viewed as a kind of like a comprehensive ROI of social. So yes, you can always, you can also do is there's also many companies, B2B companies do it especially, they down, you know, they have white papers that they're trying to push out, or eBooks. Mm-hmm. So their campaign on social would be, we want to get more people to see our ebook. So the downloads of that ebook or that white paper is, that's their ROI. I put, I wrote, it took cost me, you know, whatever number, $100 to read it, write it. I'm now on a campaign to get people to view it and download it. That's my success. It's not necessarily a sale, but in this case, that what the, the sale is that they downloaded it, right? It's not, it's not, it might be a dollar sale tomorrow morning but it is a download and that's the conversion that they were looking for. And if that's the metric they were looking for and it grew because of the social efforts, that's a success. Right. You talked about just uh, writing an ebook. I noticed that you write for a number of different blogs. I mean, how easy is it to be a guest writer Uh, and what are the major benefits of writing content for other people? Okay. So great question. It took me a long time that uh, I'll start like this. I started with my own blog, writing my own blog, my own By by the way, also Mordechai, are you running right now a marathon or something? I will be, yes. I will be running on on Friday. (laughs) No, it sounds like no, it sounds like right now. Uh, you're no, I'm not running. I'm just back and forth. I'm walking back and forth. Um, no, I will be on Friday. I will be running a half marathon. But uh, okay. In answer to your question, I started writing my own blog uh, because just wanted to, I wanted to begin to express myself and begin to get into the space of writing and get into the space of trying to become in some way impart my thoughts on the space of social and parts in terms of digital, whatever it is, completely for my own thing. And just for the record, when I was growing up, I hated writing. I still hate writing to this day. I really do, but I enjoy it when I, when it's something that I'm passionate about, it's much easier and flows out much, much better. That being said, I really worked on it a lot. I I started reaching out to, uh, I started writing my own content. I started guest writing on sites that I thought were relevant to the space. Okay, so hold on. Back up a second. So first of all, how did you get onto those other sites? Okay, so the first thing I did is wrote my own own content. Then I started doing is when companies hired me to do their social, I also said it could be helpful to write your own, write content on your blog, on your your website, whatever it is that would be helpful to you. And part Mm -hmm. of the strategy that we worked with was content and social. It wasn't only content and only social. So I started writing content for them. When writing content for them, I started realizing that these things that there's that I'm talking about for the company X or company Y was things that I could write about too. So I started writing about those. And the first thing I did was I said is who are the who are the websites or what are the websites in my industry that position me in some way as as a thinker or someone who leads. I'm not looking to be a leader, but someone who has something to say about it and has something value to impart. 
and I identified the various sites that I thought were relevant to the space, social media, and digital, and digital marketing. And I, okay. and I literally went out there and said, okay, first I will do is read articles in that space on that website. First, I would read them. Then I make some, you know, make, perhaps make some comments, reach out. And then once I've been there in that space, just like you would be in, you're not going to make a cold call without some mm-hmm. sort of context. I had context. I said, I've, I've, I've read your car. I've, I signed up to your email, you know, your email newsletter. I've read your blog. I visited your blog. I've commented on your blog. I would like the opportunity to write one post. Here's here, at least one. So you send them an email. Yeah. You sent them a blanket email saying, hi, I've been on your post, uh, on your blog. I love what you're writing. Yep. I, I think I can contribute. Absolutely. And then, and then what so, was the response? so the response, response initially was, yes, there was cold. There were always responses that would say, no, we're not ready yet. You're not, don't have enough experience. Please show us some samples. If I didn't have samples yet, then obviously I have to go back and go back to square one and write more, you know, write more and find opportunities for me to, you know, create content. Okay. Okay. So basically, so, so basically what you did was you managed to reach out and, and it's a numbers game. Yeah. Some people will say no, some people, but let me ask you this question. If you're writing content, why give it away Great. to other so blogs? Th- this goes back to your question of ROI. Some mm-hmm. content that I have or some content that is written has to be native to your site. It's important and it's it's relevant. At the same time, if you're looking to reach audiences that are beyond your network or lo- your local network, you can't be you can't do that. There's two ways to do that. I'll put it this way: instead of saying you can't do something, two ways to do it. One way is to just pay yourself, pay through, pay someone to say, "I want to put my space, I want to put an article in your journal. It'll cost you a thousand dollars. Great." The other alternative is to be someone who's part of that community and add value to it. So you reach out. Yes, of course, it's a numbers game. You, you put, sometimes you can, you, people are not always going to be able to listen or find you online. Another way to do it is to reach out to people who are in your space, who want, you know, who, who also are looking for other opinions or are looking for other imp- information about that space. And therefore, mm-hmm. you're reaching out to them and you're saying, can I write to you? By you? No, I understand that. My question here is you, you write a very good piece of, of uh, an article, yeah. a very great, great piece of content. Why not put that on your own blog? Why give that content away okay. to somebody else? I'm, maybe, I'm sorry if I didn't understand the first time. So the answer to your question there would be is... You can't. You can only write so much for your own place without selling. Your, with, by selling, you know, basically, you, the more you write about on your own site, it, it's kind of hard for people to say, as well, great, they're trying to sell their own service, uh-huh. right? So okay. part of that is also to create the, you know, what I say, brand affinity, if you will, is the more times you're reaching out to people beyond your own your your own network of people, space. your own space, and you're writing for other sites that are much larger and much larger reach. You're also creating, mm-hmm. first of all, for the search engine component, it's very important because people want your link getting links back to your site that are way okay. beyond your reach. That's the first thing. And the other thing is because you want people to see who you are. I've, I've spoken to people. I have a direct message conversation with someone who has 135,000 followers, not someone that and you and I might know directly. I speak to her almost daily about, you know, things that she has, work and uh, work that I have. And she gave, she enabled me an opportunity. She said, oh, I've seen your articles. I love what you write. Would you mind writing for this site? And all of a sudden she said to me the other day, you know, here, I just want to let you know your two articles that you wrote for us have contributed directly to our one close to or we're about to reach one million unique visitors a month. Wow, that's that's impressive. And she actually wow. told me, I have a screenshot of it. She actually said the article that she wrote or that I wrote for her site said you your site your article outranked a business insider article because of the way context content and the length of it etc basically outranked a business insider article so all of a sudden that i didn't know that she sent it to me just at a random you know conversation but she sent it to me saying is this is the advantage of having something that's contextual that's valuable and it's strong in terms of the content that's actually there Wow. Now, you mentioned in a blog post that social media is turning into one of the top referral traffic sources. How is that so? So this is something, it's not just me saying it. The industry in general is, like I said before, social media is becoming, people are listening. I've met with some startups recently that are literally doing something that you and I would be a little kind of weirded out by. But basically they're saying, (laughs) it's it's true, but they basically say is, someone says, I'm feeling sick on, on Twitter. Let's just say for an example, right? So this company that I met with, Great company, doing great work. Said is, someone says I'm sick. They have an algorithm that basically searches, you know, kind of trolls Twitter, if you will. And the automatic response is, you should look for, you know, medical doctors in your region. They basically, oh my God. yeah, it's kind of freaky in some ways, but at the same time, someone who's <laughs> posting it in Arkansas wants to know that there are doctors or pharmacies in Arkansas that they can go to if they need to get Advil, kind of, th- you know, that kind of thing, that kind of connection. So social media, like I said before, is people are looking when they're posting something about whether it's crowdsourcing for a vacation or they're looking for, you know, information about a restaurant or they're looking for information about a flight or whatever it is. They're in general, people are much more social about they're putting things out there in a much more, we'll call it 
open in a much more open field that they, before they, than they used to because because of the way the internet and the way social media works. So the more right. and more people are doing that, the more and more opportunities that companies can say is okay, they're looking for this information, and the, the, their friends and family are obviously and their network is obviously going to help them and give them information they want. But at the same time, social becomes much more of a, a referral as opposed to just the organic search, right? Especially when you have, you know mobile phones and people are much more mobile than they used to be five, six, seven, ten years ago. People are on their phone. Yeah. They're not necessarily searching on Google for something, but they're using their social networks that they, you know, their app, their Facebook, whether they're using Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is, they're using those mm-hmm. as a tool to say, I'm looking for something. And if they're looking for something, that social network that they have on whatever platform it may be is their referral source. You also made a statement about users being screen agnostic. What does that mean? It means that no one today, maybe a few years from now, in a few years, it might be different, but I would say from now, people are not saying is they're not just on one screen, right? They're not just on their phone, and they're not just on their laptop, and they're not just at their desktop. They're all over the place, right? They go from their phone, and even if you look at your, you know, if you're watching a football game or a soccer game or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you're watching your your screen on the TV screen, but you're also watching your phone to check messages, and you're also right. tweeting out, or you're putting a face post on Facebook, or you're writing a blog post, or you're writing a response via WhatsApp, whatever the case may be. You're looking at three, two, maybe three, and sometimes four screens at the same time. When you're doing right. it that way, no one really cares about it. It's, in other words, there's no I'll call it like this. There's no respect for the screen itself because while everyone is basically looking at a piece of content, they're looking at it in different components at the same time. So they're saying is I'm looking at a TV screen. I'm looking at a computer monitor. I'm looking at a laptop and I'm looking at an iPad and I'm looking at my phone. Could be all- why should we care about that? Why should we care about that? Because the content that you write, whether it's visual content, actual words, it could be any kind of content you put out there needs to be respectful of the space that you you have to be aware of at all times, how your user is consuming that content. You can't look at a piece of content, whether it's words or video, and say, great, it looks, works well on mobile, but doesn't work well on desktop. And right. In other words, you've got right. to be aware of all the different Right. And also, screens. so that means your content, right. if you are if you know that the predominant number of your, of your users are on mobile, your content better be really easy to click through to make a purchase or to you know download the ebook or to click and watch the video or make a donation, whatever the case may be, on your mobile phone. If it's not, you right. failed. Okay. Let me tell you my, my opinion about Twitter. Okay. I think Twitter is one massive pile of spam. Okay. It's like swimming through a noisy river of little kids needing your attention. Okay. And it, how can you use Twitter effectively? Okay. Great question. So Twitter could be used effectively. I just want to let you know. I'll put a sidebar for an important context of the conversation. Twitter can be used. One of the clients I have is the longest standing client that I have or now that a company has, has been for three years. It's in a space that's definitely on a more or less called on the gray area of finances. It's in the foreign exchange area. And Mm -hmm. the conversations that I've had on Twitter literally have solidified $50,000 partnerships. Directly Twitter. I I I have it all, you know, kind of recorded. So it's no, there's no one can say, oh, you never, I can't, Def- directly associated. There's no question. Directly associated between the Twitter engagement and the $50,000 partnership. At the time when it actually was secured, that was the largest, uh, second to largest partnership that the company had made in its history. So it's a very successful tool. What, what the goal here is, yes, Twitter can be a noisy, spammy, uninteresting kind of tool. At mm-hmm. the same time, Twitter can be used and there's, uh, without going into a lot of the details of how Twitter could be used, but Basically, Twitter could be used, A, to promote the content, to distribute the content you have. That's the first component. The second one is to engage with people in your space. So that's the second component. And the third one is to, during events or during conversations that you know are happening, whether it's through a hashtag or whether it's through an event that's going on, you have Twitter is a tool that, first of all, it breaks down the barriers between a company and the people that are in the, you know, kind of break, breaks down the gatekeepers. So in the past, when you have to call a secretary and say, I need to speak to the boss, if the boss is using social media, you can directly use Twitter to access that boss. And you can mm-hmm. have, engage in conversation because that person happens to be at South by or happens to be at a event that you're looking to reach, but you can't reach there for whatever reason. You can directly mm-hmm. engage with that person as the brand or as the person who represents the brand. And all of a sudden, you've just taken, you've just taken out that entire process of, is he going to call me back? Is she going to reach me? Is she going to try to find me? Who she, you know, how do I find her, et cetera? Do you find people oh. like, I mean, big, you know, A Absolutely. figures Absolutely. actually respond? Absolutely. I have yet to find... At least the people who are active on social, I've yet to find someone, and I, I attribute a lot of the success of my content writing abilities on various blogs that are quite successful. I attribute most of them to my engagements on Twitter. 
whether it's wow. whether, whether it's the content that I'm doing for myself or for businesses that I work with. Just an example, a couple of weeks ago, there was a business, I'm not going to mention who they are, they were they couldn't attend a conference for whatever reason. It's a startup that's based out of Israel and they said we we can't be there, but we know that we have to we we would like to be something, we would like to get somehow our name or presence to be there. So someone suggested that I reach out to them. I reached out to this company. They, I told them that if you have the hashtag of the event, you, it's, a, it's as if you're there. And they told me directly, I have the quote from the company who's in, the marketing director, who said to me is, your service is provided a tenfold value to the cost of what you provided, what you actually charged. Because we were there, we engaged with people, we engaged with wow. journalists, we engaged with people in the so crowd. just using a hashtag. Just using a hashtag, it. absolutely. You can create the same, I'm not saying it's replacing. Never will I say that social media should replace the, you know, the press to the flesh kind of thing. I'll never mm-hmm. say that. But I would say is that it enhances it and it makes that initial conversation that you would otherwise have with someone a little bit less awkward because you have that context. So people that I can talk to online, you know, I have companies that are talking to me or comp- uh whether it's platforms for social media or whatever it is, we're not just talking about, oh, let's talk business. It's more about, hey, I saw that you were running. Why don't you run your next marathon? Why don't you, what's right, your, right. What, what, how are your children feeling? Or how, you know, congratulations, right. your daughter just reached a milestone. You know, they already have a context. So the context makes that conversation, just like any business deal, that conversation all of a sudden is not just about being, oh yeah, let's talk numbers. It's not just a numbers game. Now it's more of like, Oh, I've, I've seen what you've done. I've seen your articles. I've seen that right. you run, etc. And all of a sudden, it brings. By the way, I know I noticed you posted on Twitter that you have some swag to give to someone. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry for sounding like I live in 2003. But what the heck is swag? Swag. Uh, well, swag is basically you know gifts that people give at any event, whether it's the little squeezy balls that you get, or a pen, or a notebook, or whatever <laughs> it is. And it's not that I have to give, but the city of Jerusalem to the journalists that they recently brought in to for the marathon we have 65 oh i think it's now 70 we have 70 people from around the world who are journalists bloggers not some are runners and some are not who are coming to basically survey the marathon see what it's like obviously they're going to report about what's going on here in the city what the vibe is during the situation but the mm-hmm. fact is we have 25,000 runners 26 wow. 2600 of them are from are, are international runners which means that 10% and that's considered that was the same exact number as last year which means mm-hmm. even though what's going on and what, whatever the news says about Jerusalem, still a, that we've still matched the numbers to last year, which, were, which is incredible. Wow. It means direct influence on the tourism industry here, direct influence on future marathons, direct influence on people spending money right now, hotels, etc. All that positive promotion and positive kind of impact that happens right now during this marathon will help the city grow. And that's what we're trying to do here. There's a lot of hype about Snapchat right now. Yes. I mean, look, look. the last time I was on Snapchat, it was literally filled with teenagers taking selfies. Yeah. I, I, just, I just don't get it. I mean, you post something and it disappears within 24 hours. Can you explain why people should be Snapchatting to grow their business? I, I'm st- I think there's still Snapchat, yes, had a bad rap for the first, let's call it, six months to a year when it was really just starting out. I think it's mm-hmm. it devo- developed and matured m- very much like many of the startup, many of the social media platforms. It developed, it evolved, it become much more of a robust platform. I still think that there are some things that, similar to other platforms, Snapchat still has some way to move ahead. I still think there's a little bit of a lack of a sales funnel, quote unquote, within Snapchat. Obviously, there's mm-hmm. going to be there is an ad ad platform which already has been developed and already has been kind of being put into place slowly. You can see it with geo filters, which is the beginning of people putting money in to get their kind of their brand on some sort of you know localized geographic place. The same thing with their Snapchat is now allowing companies and brands to promote their events. It's not cheap, right? You can those kind of things. That's already the beginning of a ad platform. We'll call it ad platform, like a larger context. I still mm-hmm. think there are some counterintuitive things that Snapchat does that I don't get. For example, something that I've been seeing is people will put in. I've saw comp- leaders in social media and marketing spaces have said they put in basically a chain of conversations in their snaps. And one of them, right before they put in a link, they'll say is get your screenshot ready kind of thing. And then the next snap is a link, right? The counter okay. it's counterintuitive. That's very counterintuitive because in a content funnel, a classic content funnel, the link would just be placed there and you'd click through. Here, you actually have to do is you take a screenshot of it and then you have to wait for the user to remember to go back to that screenshot and then type in the link, right? Because well, that's dumb. Right, so it's, I call it counterintuitive, completely counterintuitive. Right. 
it's not necessarily dumb. It's just much more. But at the same time, the value of Snapchat, I'm not saying necessarily that I completely agree with it, but I would imagine the value of Snapchat is that you have someone who's looking kind of like a, a TV show. When you're, when you're addicted to a TV show, you'll do anything to make sure you're watching it. Forget nowadays when you have Netflix and things like that where you can record, but right. you'll watch, you'll do anything. You, you, you'll stop everything to watch it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about Snapchat as like a, we'll call it a some sort of distilled version or kind of boiled down version of a TV show, you have a person or a brand who you're just like, I want to hear more from them because I'm so interested in what they're saying. So you're going to basically be, I don't want to say addicted to, but you're going to be committed to watching that person and what they're saying. So you're right. basically saying, is okay, so in, in this case, I'm touching the screen as if I was flipping through the channels to get to my cha- the, to the to get to the TV show that I know I have to watch. So if you view it that way, in some context, I'm not necessarily agreeing that the entire space is correct and it, maybe it's not perfect right now, but mm-hmm. the point is you have a very raw and a very immediate need to understand to listen and to engage with that person or that brand because you want to know that you're always in the know what's the point of posting images on on instagram i mean i know my wife likes to post pictures of her cakes that right. she baked and her, her latest manicure how does it help businesses so instagram uh, has also evolved obviously now you have more of an ad platform similar to and today they announced that they're going to be doing a lot more of the content that you've seen or that you prefer will get, kind of get boosted up a little bit more not for pay but rather because of what what instagram algorithm has been changed so that you basically what you like to see is what you'll see first kind of thing. But that being said, putting that aside, just like any of these online platforms, Instagram similarly has a if you're looking at it from a marketing perspective, you're looking to do is one of two things. A, make sure that the comp- the person who's the user who's watching seeing your content is there's a strategy to it so that make sure that you're consistent and that you're at some point you're not just Selling, you're not just you know talking about the space. You're not just talking about value, but rather you could be you know what what Gary Vaynerchuk says is you know right hook kind of really make a sale. But most of the time, you're really trying to do is get people to see that you are, let's call it like this. You know you you have something interesting to post, right? You're not just posting about your your dog all the time, but rather you're putting pictures that make sense in terms of a, some sort of strategy overall. So Instagram, while the picture itself individually doesn't look like something very valuable, quote unquote. But if you look at it from a perspective and if you watch brands doing it well, you'd see that they have some sort of strategy. So if you look at Mercedes, which I think does an amazing job, every day they have a different a strategy, what they're, what they're going to be talking about what their topic is. And then they'll, and they never make a sale Mercedes, but they really do is they show different aspects of the cars, whether it's antiques, the doors, the keys, the speed, whatever it is, but they're really looking at it from a strategic perspective. In terms of direct, there's really very little room for calls to action in Instagram. The only place to the best of my knowledge, I think for still to today is the link in the bio. There are some companies that you can now do is the link in the bio directly takes you to a sale page. So if I put a picture of a suit, the next link will take you to that suits page. Right. That's the, mm. that's one thing people need to understand. And that's one of the things I like to say is you have to respect the platform. So Instagram, the only place you can link out from and Instagram is taking a little bit more of a conscious effort to eliminate being able to click click out, but slowly doing that. The respectful of the platform means that you can't put a link into your description of your Instagram post because it's not going to it's not click. It's not a clickable link. Mm. So you're basically mm. wasting characters saying, go to my website at www.bluethreadmarketing.com, right. but it doesn't do anything. So how do you link? How do you so link usually then? what you do, and most people who, if you look at marketers who are companies, they'll say, is go, you know, link, link in bio, and they'll usually do is have like a little arrow in the picture, or they'll kind of like point to something oh. kind of where you have someone pointing to the top there, kind of saying is go to the mm. bio. So you, the picture is very engaging. So yes, pictures are important. Well, yeah. Right. What tools do you use to manage your social media more effectively? Because, I mean, there's so right. many platforms. So I just wrote a post recently about it. Basically, I use TweetDeck. What we'll do is we'll put the link yeah. of that post into my into the, right. uh, the, the show um, notes. So there are the tweet. If you actually, if it's changed the, the content or the, the title of that article is changed between two different ones. If you share it on Twitter, it's called Nine Badass Social Media Management Tools kind of thing. And the mm-hmm. regular con- style one or the one that's actually on the blog is Nine Social Media Tools for uh, to, to help you manage your social media more effectively, something like well, that. Why'd you, take, why'd you take out the word badass? I didn't do it. The company did it when they wrote the article. They actually changed it. Uh-huh. I think it's more because the way the nature of Twitter and the nature of people who are sharing on Twitter versus ch- sharing in general. I think also mm-hmm. for contextual search. In general, I like to do is I like to use a combination of Hootsuite, TweetDeck. I also use uh, Zoomf, which is like much more of a real-time kind of mm-hmm. space, understanding the data in real time. Like 
for the point of I can understand who's tweeting, where they're tweeting, what age they are. It's like real, really, oh, wow. really That's detailed great. metrics. I happen to love their company. It's great. Zoom. I'm not, I don't get paid to do this. It's something that just really, real true value. Um, sure. And they really understand it. And their, their customer service is impeccable, completely directed via Twitter. They really help me out through a DM. And then they talk, take you through it on a Google Hangout completely. So, so Hootsuite, Zoom, and what was uh, the other one? Deck is really for Twitter. I Tweet think uh, Hootsuite okay. has some things that are advantageous that are not so good with Buffer. There's a con- some basically there's some sort of fine line between Buffer and Hootsuite, Hootsuite, which are basically the two main leaders in terms of content distribution automation. But there's some fine line between the two that you kind of almost have to use both. I'm not going to get into that uh-huh. right now because it's a little confusing. But yep. the idea is that you, you want that. Um, you also want to have some sort of social listening platform that's a little bit more robust, a little bit more effective, so it can go across all the different channels. You need some sort of you know, kind of system that allows you to not only look at social mentions, but also content uh, mentions. So you want to have something, there's something, even a website called or a platform called Mention that basically anytime you're mentioned, your brand is mentioned, there's a company uh, out there similar to Zoom that's also called TalkWalker, which basically means you can basically assign sentiment and brand sentiment to any kind of words associated in your field things like okay. that. So I use basically my combination would be something like Hootsuite, TweetDeck, Zoomf, should give you a very strong beginning for your uh, social listening and social engagement. Perfect. And if you were to focus on just three social media platforms, which ones would they be and why? I would use, I use consistently, I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I use LinkedIn a little bit, but those three I use because I believe, first of all, Facebook and Instagram, because of their connection and their partnership, mm-hmm. I think it's very important to be on both. And because mm-hmm. the funnel, the sales funnel and the advertising platform is very much, they very much matched one-on-one. And also I use Twitter. Also Twitter because, like I said, it breaks down the barriers between certain people and certain access points that any other social network to this day, as of yet, let's just put it that, as of yet, there hasn't been a platform that you can really reach the people that you want in real time and a conversation that's meaningful and consistent uh, other the, besides Twitter. And who would you say are the best people to follow? Uh, I would say... For social media, at least I'm going to use social media just because uh, yeah. other spaces, everyone has their own space. I would say is follow Brian Kramer, follow Brian Fanzo, even though he's not a necessarily a social media person or was not a social media person originally. He's okay. absolutely amazing. Follow uh, Peg Fitzpatrick. Follow Gary Vaynerchuk, of course. Follow mm-hmm. anything that Buffer does is unbelievable. <laughs> like literally, watch anything that Buffer does. It's unbelievable. Buffett. Warren Buffett. No, not Buffett. Buffer. Buffer. The, the company. Oh. <laughs> not Buffett. Said no, no, Buffer, the company. Watch them okay. for social media. They okay. really know what they're doing. Follow Zoom for watching, showing how you can use social media in real time from the Super Bowl to the presidential debates. They really understand how to do it and add value with lots of good visuals to really understand how to get down to that granular personal level of taking a social, you know, a, a hashtag and turning it into metrics that then turn into conversion. Amazing. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? The best thing to do is just find me on uh, Twitter. I'm available almost all the time at Mordecai Holtz. Uh, you should be able to put it onto the, into the link or into the, mm-hmm. some conversation. You can also I'll, find me. I'll put it in the show notes. Mordecai, you are a social animal. Thank you. Thanks for letting me pick your brain. Thank you. And thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.